Perfect. All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're a partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Production Studio. You're here with the one single co-host today again. My father's uh, just getting back from vacation, kind of adjusting and and doing things with the wife. So he's uh, busy doing his stuff. He'll be back next week. But I wanted to have a cool Sunday episode coming on with our good friend Chris Orderbody is here today. Chris, how are you doing, my man? Doing great. Excited to be here. So, Chris. We're going to talk about some things today, and I know a lot of fans uh, they, they probably want some opinions from pro players on uh, numerous different things. Chris, I want to start with the first thing. I noticed, and, and it was like very quietly it passed, but uh, new ECHL fight rule, right? If you fight yeah. off the dog, right off the face off, suspend them. Can you talk a little bit about that or the understanding? <clears throat> yeah, so um, it's a little bit ambiguous in terms of its wording, but um, from – what it sounds like is like if there's a fight that happens immediately following the drop of a puck or even like I think after a whistle, although it's not really clear because it's kind of like it says like immediately before or after a face off um, that I think there'll be a 10 minute misconduct, if I remember correctly, assessed in, in addition to the fight. Um yeah, so that, that was the rule. I think they also passed out at the same time another rule that made it so that if you have two fights in one game, you also get a 10-minute a uh, misconduct, um, which I think is kind of the lesser of the two. Like the second rule, like I only know a handful of guys that had two, two in a game. Um, but like, I don't know, like my instant reaction was um, – you know, I kind of thought I, I did obviously didn't didn't really love it. Like, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. I, I know that the intention of the of the rule is probably to to you know eliminate like staged fights or fights just for the sake of fighting, um, which is generally something that I'm I'm not super against. But like this year, like I did have a fight right off of a face off. Like I, the second time I fought Kyle Newber, it was like immediately following a drop of the puck um and like um you know and so I understand the intention of the rule but like I, I don't I think it kind of like handcuffs you know the the guys that play that role even even more so than they already are especially like with the 10 fight rule um and I think like I don't think in practice it's going to really like cut down on their intended goal like I think that most likely probably fights will still happen and they'll just find a way to game it so it's like I don't know five seconds after like you skate halfway down the ice and then go or something I, I don't know I I'm very curious to see how it plays out um and how strictly they enforce it and how they define directly after the drop of a puck because there's definitely some leeway there but like in my opinion like it's still gonna happen like guys will still go like you know shortly after the the drop of a puck and it might be like might have to wait a few seconds more than before it might not be but like in my my opinion it's still probably gonna happen um so I don't really like major change and I don't think it's I think it's something that's gonna be I'm just very curious to see how they enforce it, I guess. Yeah, because it's like whenever I remember, I forgot who fought, but it was when they did the helmet rule in the NHL. You can't take off the helmet before a fight. 
And yeah. what they did was, I'm sure you remember, again, I forgot who was fighting. They, they got together, they took each other's helmets off, then fought. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Was, when, I was, when I was reading that ambiguous language, it's a good way of you to put it. It was kind of like, okay, so if two guys really want to fight, then they can just wait five seconds after, right? Isn't there, yeah. is there a time limit? So it's going to be interesting what they do. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, – what, what is the consensus, though? Have you talked to anybody or heard teammates or any other guys you played with or play with that are like, yeah, this is kind of stupid or like, what are they trying to do? Or does it not matter? Because, again, if you want to fight, you can do it. Just don't do it at the face off. Right. So it's not yeah. a huge deal. But um, yeah, you know, like I think that the majority of fights in hockey and the way that it should be is like in the spur of a moment, like as a response, like that's that's when I think like is the biggest role for it but when you do have guys that are that do play that role and are are that you know you know that's what they're there you know in part to do or or maybe exclusively to do well then like they're probably not going to be on the ice all the time so like they're gonna end up challenging guys off of face-offs when they are out there so like it does handcuff those guys a little bit more um and I think most guys would agree with that. And I, I think, but, but I think the major thing is, it's just like any rule like that, it's going to be so hard to enforce. And it's just like going to make it so exactly like what you said is like about outlawing the taking off your helmets. Like guys are just going to find a way around it. And it's going to like, it's just going to be like this added like little thing. But um, I think it's important to like remember also in, in, in uh, sorry, let me find a way to mute that. Um, yeah, you're that good um in hockey you know the ref dictates how the game what what really the rules of the game are right like if you were to call geez uh, is that in my end sorry yeah you're good man you're good <laughs> um but um let me try to find a way to mute that um i think um you know uh, the, the the rules of the game really is what what the ref makes of it right because like if you were to call the game of hockey by the book like the game would be a constant power play and penalty kill it'd be a constant like stream of guys into the box right like if you were to call like every slash that happened every hook that happened every cross check right like that those things happen all the time but the ref kind of has like this idea in his mind about when it crosses the line and I think part of your responsibility as a player is you have to kind of figure out where is this line um uh and 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 what what is the ref going to call and that's for every penalty right so I'm curious whether the refs enforce this rule if like the game is getting out of hand and then like guys are just going and it's just like you know, like fight after fight, like I'm just imagining a situation and like guys are just going off of the draw and it just seems like, you know, things are getting out of hand and then they start dishing it out. Right. I'm curious if that's how they enforce it or whether it's like every time it's black and white, like right off of the face off that then they're calling it because like, if they're doing it as a means to like control a game, that's maybe getting out of hand, then it's like, I would be less against it. Like, cause already like, say if there's a roughing and guys aren't fighting, but there's like rough after rough after rough. And it's like, guys are keeping their gloves on, but like, it's just getting crazy. And there's like two minutes left in the game. And the ref is just like wanting to get it over with. He's probably going to be handing out tens in that situation too. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's why the big thing about it is like, 
especially with how loosely the rule is worded, I'm just very curious to see how it's enforced and kind of like the enforcement is almost bigger in my opinion than like the rule itself. Um, so I think, so yeah. what, do you, what, what do you think about uh, the Q? No fighting in the QMJHL. And they used to be like one of the toughest, craziest leagues, even if you consider yeah. even some of the minor pro leagues. What's your opinion on that? And do you think the, the W and the O is going to follow through too? Um, I, I would imagine that things will start to move in that direction. Uh, um, probably the OHL before the Western league, um, okay. just kind of as like a cultural thing. Um, but, you know, I think that is a really, um, difficult issue because I do think that there is probably some mismatches that could occur. Like if you're a 16 year old kid, it's your first year in the league and you're on like fighting against an overager, like that, that, that's a very different, like a 20 year old versus a 16 year old, just in terms of their physical development is a completely different world. And, you know, I would imagine that it's challenging for like the, you know, the people that organize it to like, have to like think about worst case scenarios and and everything um and and plus when you wrap in money and insurance and all that stuff in it like i can understand maybe why they're moving in that direction especially like when we don't know a ton about head injury and and all the rest and maybe there was i'm not super familiar but maybe there was like one or two like bad incidents where you know someone got hurt or whatever and and that made them kind of rethink things so like I, I I do see that side of it, um, you know. But I also think that there are a lot of players that they are able to earn their spot and and able to earn a role for themselves and and grow into the pros by by using fighting and by using that toughness element. And I think that it belongs in hockey. I think that there are other you know things that happen. Um, you know, other, other negative repercussions that happen when you eliminate fighting in hockey, um, especially on North American ice. Like, I think that, you know, guys take advantage of each other in other ways. Um, and I think it can make the game more dangerous if you don't have that way to police yourself. So I do think it, it's a balance and I do see both sides of things. And I think like, um, you know, I'm also someone that, that feels like, in the broader sense of things that the whole way that we kind of transition from youth to junior to pro or even to college is like not a very good system. Like, I think that, you know, the whole way that we have junior hockey where, you know, some kids at 15 years old have to decide, like, am I going to give up the ability to earn an NCAA scholarship and go play major yeah. junior? Like, uh, that is a very tough decision that I don't think a 15 year old kid can really make. Cause he, he doesn't even have all the information, right? Like he might have an, like a major junior offer, but he may not know whether he will get a college scholarship, you know, uh, or not. So I think like the whole way that we have hockey set up to progress from, you know, youth to pro is like such like a bad challenge, like tough thing to navigate that I think yes. that, that like, um, like if you look at this in a broader sense, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just like 
adding to like the complexity of navigating this if you're if you're a kid right and I yeah think, I do think like it's interesting to see what decisions they make um but what I would really like is if like some of these changes and discussions that we're making we start thinking about like the broader picture of like how can we streamline this whole process like one thing I would be really in favor of is finding a way to make major junior hockey um not not uh sacrificing your NCAA eligibility from that you know I didn't even know that by the way I had no idea so if you so if you commit to major juniors at all you cannot get a scholarship anywhere even if you just play one game like that's it Oh, really? Because yeah. I was about to say, if you made your juniors after a year, could you just go to get a scholarship? That's yeah. a no? No. Wow. Because you get, like, direct compensation for playing rather than, like, you can profit now from your your, your image or likeness. Uh, but since you get direct yeah. compensation from playing in that league, even though it's pretty minimal, um, yeah. sacrifice your NCAA um, um eligibility so I, I think that's a major problem and uh, so while I do think that you know for those certain players that maybe make make the decision like hey my best chance at playing pro is to play the the, the tough role to have fighting be part of my game and to go play major junior for those that make that calculation um, I think that they maybe should have that opportunity and to pursue that way. And if that's how they think that they'll make, make their living as a pro and that's what their goal, I think that they should have the right to do that. I'm a little bit worried if you're a 16 year old kid and you're trying to have that be your role and you're fighting 20 year olds that are just way stronger. I'm worried about what that would do for you. But, and at the same time, I'm worried about like making that be part of your calculation and maybe you develop and you become a skilled player and now you're lacking the opportunity to, to play NCAA hockey and you, you know, have to go play Canadian university hockey. Cause at the end of it, you're not ready to play pro at that point and, and playing not nothing against really playing against, you know, Canadian university hockey, but it's not at the same level as NCAA. So I think like, sure. I think um, like to answer your question, like, I think it is a very difficult um, problem. I'm not like completely against the ban. I'm also not completely in favor of uh, in favor of it. But um, basically, what what my feeling is is that, um, or what I would hope would come out of this is that maybe we can take a look at the larger picture here and and try to like reevaluate why we do things the way that we're doing them currently, and yeah. and maybe try to find a way that you know, young kids don't have to be making all these decisions and that they can have as much opportunity as they, as they can, no matter what they choose. And, th- and that would really be, be what, what I wish to, to come out of everything. I, I don't think that will happen. What I think will happen is likely OHL will just, or Q will just ban fighting and then maybe the O and then maybe eventually the dub, but, um, and, you know, there might be pros and cons to that depending on who you ask and, and what your feeling is. And, uh, but, but um, yeah, but what I, what I wish would come out uh, of that is to at least start the discussion of like, how can we make this process to pro and to college a little bit easier and less chaotic. Do you think that there's still a lot, like too much pressure to do major junior? 
juniors or doing a junior league in general, maybe not even major juniors like the big three we talk about, maybe the AJHL, OJHL, some of those other leagues and that we're hearing about. Um, is there more pressure to be playing in those leagues? Because now we're seeing so many go to the NCAA and a lot of them are, are coming over to the NHL and are doing fine. But it, it just always seems like, you know, and no offense, Canada just seems like Canada is like, we've got our major junior set up and this is the route that they have to go. Like NCAA, yeah. you can go to college thing, but, but now that you mentioned, I keep forgetting the NIL deals. I mean, dude, you can now go get paid to go play in college if you're a college yeah. star. Right. Yeah. So like, I was just wondering if that's going to have an effect, but uh, I guess my question to you is, is there still a lot of pressure today to tell young kids you have to do major juniors over NCAA? I think as an American, not really. Um, in fact, okay. I think most Americans, like their path, like most kids, their goal is to play Division One college. And I think like just all of like, you know, college as a like – cultural like institution is so ingrained in the u.s like every young kid wants to go to college like they want the lifestyle of being in college you know and and, and you know uh, you know and everything that goes along with it um and i think for and it's also what all their peers are doing in school you know they're going on to to college and some of the you know high school um athletes that they are in school with they're going on to play college so i think like in the U.S., definitely, it's it's that that is the focus for most players. Um, in in Canada, I think um, it really depends. I think that that's where it's it's more split and more more people make the decisions. But even um, two of my best friends are actually from Virginia, um, and both of them ended up playing major junior hockey. Um, one for Sudbury. And the other for, well, I played Sudbury and uh, I can't remember the other team. Played for two, two teams in the, in the OHL. The other one played mostly for the Barry Colts, um, the other brother. And with both of them, one, he ended up going pro after. I don't think he was ever someone that was very um, academically inclined. So I think it worked out well for him and, and he has no regrets. The other brother... Um, you know, I think it, he actually turned down a, a, a scholarship, an NCAA scholarship to go play major junior because at the time he thought that that was his best path to pro. And now he's playing, you know, Canadian university hockey. And I think at least parts of him regrets it because he, you know, maybe would have had a better look at pro or maybe would have had, you know, more of what he wanted from, from playing NCAA hockey. So, um, so, yeah, I think that they're even, you know, I would say the majority of Americans do want to play NCAA hockey, but those that do play major junior hockey, for some it works out well, and for some it's it's a little bit disappointing what the outcome is, and and, and there are kids that have to make that make that decision. So, uh, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. So, you know, one of the other things I want to talk about today too, Chris, is, uh, you know, we're talking about the tough guy role and you know everybody is saying you know like how fighting's dying in the sport the the, the but but we don't think that some of that's going to die out and it's a, such a physical sport you're always going to have physicality you need those guys those bottom line and grinding guys too we just saw that reeves just got uh signed with toronto first of all three-year contract which i was surprised of giving him a little bit of term but Toronto obviously hiring him for one reason and one reason only. And, and you know, Reeves is out there saying exactly what it's for. You also see Tanner Jeannot. They just traded uh, – Tampa traded for him and traded, like, their whole draft, <laughs> like a whole year's draft yeah. for this kid. 
you see Trent Frederick, you're starting to see these players coming back and it's starting to seem like while the fighting is weighed down, that's not what's important. It's like, like you said, the situational stuff that they're doing. Do you now see that there's, I wouldn't say like more opportunities for that type of player because whether they can score or not, it's just that type that they're doing, the physicality, the fighting that they can do. Is that becoming more popular now? Teams are wanting more of a Tom Wilson, Tanner Janot, a guy that can do everything. Maybe yeah. not like a Reeves. Reeves can play a little bit of hockey too, but some of those guys can be really skilled too. Yeah, like I think Tom Wilson is someone that that for me personally, I in all growing up being a DC guy, like he's someone that I really looked up to and, and tried to play a lot like and um, both, you know, the physicality, the toughness, you know, just how he plays the game, being that power forward that can play big minutes, can play, you know, power play time. Like that's someone that I always wanted to, to try to be like and uh, obviously I'm not there yet, but like that's really like still like would want to like try to be like you know that's kind of like kind of the goal um so i think that those players will always have a role um no matter what but i even think that players like you know nick delorier and ryan reeves and some of these guys that are maybe more just um you know that that fighting is 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 maybe more central to who they are i guess is how i'd put it I, I think that the, the teams, you know, want guys like that too and, and, and want that not only um, at the NHL level, but like the, the minor league versions of those guys, I think, are every bit as in demand now as, as before, maybe even more so just because there are fewer of them. But certainly if you can be a guy that can do both, that can play well and add that tough, tough ele- uh, element and, and, and presence, like that I think is, is a super, super valuable player these days and that's really what I aspire to be and try to work towards being because I think um if you can have both I think I think that's that's really really important in today's games and I think like when you have a lot of players like Marner and Nylander and Matthews to have a guy like Reeves out there with them is 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 massive you know like you and and I think you see it in playoffs a lot, but even during the regular season, like guys take liberties on those guys. If there's ever a big game, like you're going to try to wear down the top, top players. And if you can have like a little check to that um, by, by having that, that presence, I think that that's, that's massive. And I think Tom Wilson really played a massive role with the Capitals because like, he's not a guy that's bringing down the, the team in terms of like having him out there on the ice during, during playoffs. Like he's a guy that can play, he can win hockey games for you by his skill, but also like, you're probably not going to take liberties on Backstrom on, you know, on Kuznetsov on Ovechkin's when, when you know that there's the threat of, of Tom Wilson. So um, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because uh you know, he, he, Ryan Reeves also being brought in because he's a good locker room guy. And we don't talk about, you know, everything, everything's so like stats now, you know, all these crazy things in the course, see all this stuff. Don't get me wrong. I like some of the stats and we're able to break things down. It's cool. But we talk about they're also bringing Reeves in to help with the locker room situation, especially with Ryan uh, O'Reilly leaving Toronto and signing with Nashville and just kind of not wanting to be around. Reeves has said he had noticed that there's a disconnect in the locker room, that yeah. guys are not talking to each other, they're not close, they're, they're clicky, they're doing their own things. Very brutally honest about it. How important is that to get a guy like Reeves? Because, you know, you got people that will just trash Reeves or you're wasting a spot for a young, fast kid that can be on that fourth line. But how important is it to have a veteran guy 
in general to be in a locker room with maybe some of those young kids. And Marner and them aren't even that young anymore. But just to bring together the locker room, I feel like that's so important. If, if your team isn't close, then I just don't see how you're going to win a championship. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. It's really funny. Like, uh, it's probably something that not most people outside of hockey would really come to expect. But always the guy that, like, is normally the role player or the tough guy. Like, he's almost always the guy that's the glue guy in the locker room. Just the, the guy that's, like, great in the room, that all, that is always happy to be at the rink, that is always firing up the boys. And, and uh, you know, it's just, like the guy that everyone sort of gravitates to. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that that's so important for, for every team. Like, like if guys, you know, the, the season is really long and there's a lot of travel and I don't care if you're in the NHL or in, if you're in the federal league, like it's tough, like all dark winter going to the cold rink every day it's cold outside like it's game number 48 out of 72 and you're playing the same team that you've played like a million times already it feels like and you know like it sounds crazy but like it does get it is a grind and you know you are yeah. playing the team that you love but like um but like there is like but it is a grind and it is and there are ups and downs and I think particularly with guys that are that are maybe like in the top six role that are, that are skill guys, there's a ton of pressure on them to perform and to produce. And sometimes you can right. be performing well, but you're not producing. And um, a lot of guys that are, that are in that position, they really get down on themselves and they're hard on themselves and they, they really feel that pressure. Um, and that's why I think a lot of times the guy that is the glue guy and is the good locker room guy is the, is the guy that maybe is a role player is the, is the tough guy because um, he certainly has less pressure on himself to produce. He's playing fewer minutes and he has his own role. And, and so he, I think he is more resilient, um, often to, to those ups and downs than, than someone who, you know, is playing big minutes and is expected to produce a lot. So I think that having a guy like Reeves or, or anyone that's a really good locker room guy is, is really super valuable to a team and in a, in a really underweighted, underrated way. And, and you're totally right in a way that isn't represented at all by, by stats or by your right or whatever, you know? <laughs> so, so go along with the, the Toronto thing, just cause we're on the topic of it. I do want to ask you this, cause I'm just curious of, of a pro player's opinion. You have a guy like Nylander who the, the rumors are his camp, they want 10 million or more that they think that he's worth as much as Matthews or, or Marner, right? So you got these young guys that, you know, the contracts are getting are huge and you can see they can have one good season and they just get the bag thrown at them and get term with it too. Then you see a lot of people arguing and saying, well, you're selfish because you know, you obviously you can't build a strong team with a bunch of guys if, you know, you've got somebody taking up 15 20 million just in general if, if you know what i'm saying so i don't know how to word this correctly but as a pro is that ever in your guys's mind i know maybe with echl it's a little different with the money i know with nhl we're talking millions with these guys but do you ever think like do you guys have to think like oh i need to take less money so we can build a strong team or is it one of those things like dude i have a small window that i can make money playing pro yeah. hockey that's what I want. And you can still build a good team, but the fans, we talk about that all the time. Like, dude, you should give up an extra 25 million total so you could build a team. You're selfish. But like, it's easy for us to say, right? 
yeah. what goes through your guys' minds? Do you know anybody that like has gone through that, that maybe they're like, hell no, I want my big contract or how does that work? I mean, um, I, so you're not a team guy. If you take a contract, like you feel like you're worth right. But yeah, <laughs> um, I'm pretty far removed from that. Like being <laughs> like, uh, I'm not, uh, yeah. Like, uh, if I ever had a, a deal for millions of dollars, I'm taking it for sure. But, right? like, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I can't ever fault a guy for, for getting paid, you know, like, you know, and I, I, I think that, um, you know, you have so much to consider. Like, obviously there are some guys that are really motivated to win a championship and, and whatever. But I think like at the end of the day, like you want to get what you feel like you're worth. And, um, and, you know, it is a pretty, pretty cutthroat business at the end of the day. So like you, you want to try to try to put yourself and your family in the best position as possible is how, how I would imagine. Um, certainly every year I can tell you, I'm not ever thinking hmm, maybe I should <laughs> take a little bit less money so that my, my close team that can be a little bit, that's something I've honestly never considered, but, um, yeah. but again, like I'm not making millions. So, um, no. it's definitely, but, um, but yeah, like I definitely respect the guys that, that have, have done that, you know, like, I think you saw that in Boston for, for a little bit and probably a little bit in, in Tampa. Um, you know, guys taking team friendly deals because they do want to um, win the championship. So if that's, you know, if that's something that's really important to you and you want to put the team in a position to do it, like I definitely respect it, but I don't, I, I would never say that someone is selfish for trying to get as much money as he can. Like, I think especially that, if you're worth it too. Yeah. Um, so Chris, a big thing that everybody was talking about that everybody's split down the middle and I want your opinion. You saw the video of the, the Toronto training camp, the kid that got knocked out, laid out, right? Yeah. You have the argument of people, of course, this has come from people that have never played in a damn training camp or people like me who just sit on the couch and just say whatever the hell they want. But they say you can't, you shouldn't be throwing hits like that in a training camp. Well, you also have the other people, which in, in my opinion, I feel like if you're in a training camp fighting for a spot, I'm going as hard as I can. I don't give a shit if I'm fighting my own teammate. It's not fighting your own teammate, in my opinion. It's like you do what you have to do in camp. You have to be competitive either way. What is your opinion on that? Because I also want to make note, everybody thought that or was making jokes he should learn Chinese or whatever the meme is because they're going to ship him overseas. Like Everybody thought, like, dude, you're getting kicked out for this. He got signed. He got a contract, you know, an yeah. AHL contract for that. Well, not for that, but the the guy did. What is your opinion on that? And, and mostly for for us couch sitters that are watching and just saying that for ourselves. I mean, how, how does that work in training camp? Did he was that unnecessary? I mean, the guy had his head down. He was cutting up through the middle. So yeah, um, I'm always of the opinion, even if it's in a practice midseason, that like maybe you're not going to hit in a practice midseason, but that you compete as hard as you can, and that's the only way that you make yourself better and you make your teammates better. Um, in that situation, if you're trying to impress and earn a, earn a contract or whatever, like you play as hard as you can. Um, right. I, 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 so like, I'm completely in the, in the camp of like, yeah, that guy that made that hit, like good on him. Like you showed like that you can do that. And that's, that's awesome. And to the other guy, like sucks, but like, you gotta keep your head up. You gotta be prepared for a hit. You gotta be aware of your surroundings. Like that's, that's, um, 
that's just how you got to play the game. Um, it's actually funny when after the COVID year, when I was in training camp for Norfolk, I was on a, I was just on a tryout. I wasn't signed going in. And um, because of like some problems with scheduling, we didn't have any preseason games. So in order to like, in my mind, make the team, my only opportunity to really show was a three on three uh, full ice game, which as a guy that plays the way I do, who yeah. like physically it's about as hard as possible but I was like well I'm gonna play this game like the only way that I know how and that's I'm gonna run around and try to smoke guys and catch guys with their heads down and play tough and play mean and um we had uh one guy <laughs> one guy uh on our team he, he was up in the American League camp and he just gotten like all of his teeth knocked out he took like a stick or a puck to the mouth and so he was like I think it was like we were all like we split the team literally half and played an inner squad game. So and it was a long game because we were like doing it for like the season ticket holders and stuff. So like guys were pretty tired, but like this guy, like he was like on a bunch of antibiotics. He wasn't feeling great. He just had his teeth knocked out, but he had his head down coming up and I, I had a full head of steam and I just lowered the boom on him. And uh and uh he actually became like really good buddies with me and everyone was like what is this guy doing like this guy's crazy but like it ended up working and I ended up making the team you know and and uh there was a couple other guys on tryouts and you know a couple other guys that were signed that ended up not making it and I was able to to steal a spot and I think like a big reason for that is because like I competed my ass off in that in that game and even though it was in a situation that wasn't really well suited to my style of play like I, I showed my compete level and showed you know a little bit of what I could do and um, I don't think I would have made that team if I had approached that three-on-three game it's like wow I'm going to take it easy on my teammates or I'm not going to play my game you know at the end of the day you got to play your game you got to do what you're strong at and if you don't do that you probably not going to stand a chance so right yeah. So, so then same opinion to when, like, I think it was like a year or two ago when Nick Sealer fought and beat up somebody during a training camp and everybody was up in arms and they're like, oh, every teammate hates him now and everything else. I mean, to me, I'd feel like, don't get me wrong, you don't want to get rocked in training camp or get hurt, but it's also like, like you said, <laughs> you can't like not try your hardest because like, yeah. oh, we happen to be in the same organization even, you know, yeah. like. I don't know. So I guess same opinion, even with that, when he fought the guy, yeah. I mean, you got to gotta do what you can do, right? Like hundred <laughs> percent. Also Nick Sealer is a body of mine. We trained together during the summer. So like, yeah. So Seal, good, so good right fight. Dude. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I wanted to, a couple more things I want to talk about to you, Chris. Um, thoughts on the new ECHL team, which I thought was funny. East Coast Hockey League, and there's a fucking team going in, what, Vegas or whatever is over in that area. Yeah, so what, uh, what, what are the thoughts? Oh, oh, I, think where? I think it's in Lake Tahoe. Oh, that's right. Lake Tahoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so what do you guys think of it? And, and so far away, I thought Newfoundland, Newfoundland Growlers, you know, having to travel out there would be the worst. But that's going to suck, too. Yeah. On that Oh, I think it's awesome. Like, I think it seems like an unbelievable uh, location. Um, I think it seems like, a, you know, like they have really good ownership. I believe it's the same ownership as Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, Jacksonville and Savannah. 
And then with the addition of Tim Tebow, which is kind of random, but kind of awesome. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think it's a great, great location. I think it's really good to be expanding. I would love if we could get to the point where there's an equal number of teams in the AHL, ECHL, and NHL. If there was like 32 in, in, in all three, I think that would be great for the game. I think more jobs is always good because there are a lot of good hockey players out there. And I think, you know, if we can have more jobs and more markets and expose more people for to hockey, and that's just, that can only be a benefit. Um, and I think like, you know, uh, say what you will about the ECHL and, and everything about it, but I, I think that they have been doing a really good job with, with expanding. Like if you look at Savannah, like that's an unbelievable organization like every time we went there this season like we got taken care of really well it was a great great city they had great fans they were sold out practically every game that we were there um you know and if they can replicate that in an area like Lake Tahoe which is a completely different market um but if they can keep that same like quality of of organization and everything I, I think they'll, they'll be successful and I think it'll it'll help grow the game and you know, as a player, if, if we got to go out there and travel, I think it would be a really fun place to go. One of my favorite trips, we had a trip, um, not last season, but the season before where we went to, um, Salt Lake city, Utah and, uh, Boise, Idaho. And that was like one of the most fun trips that we went to. Like those are really fun towns, really cool places to check out. So like if we could go out to Lake Tahoe too, I think that would be pretty cool. So that'd be sweet. So this next thing I want to talk to you about before we start wrapping up here, Chris, um, I guess, again, this is a life as a pro and trying to get a fan like us that have not been in this world like you are to understand this. But so some comments came out from Anton Strawman about the Bruins and he just had a, um, an interview with like a Swedish reporter. I don't know if you had read it or seen, it. I think it came out today or yesterday, but uh, he had mentioned um, that he felt very betrayed by the team that he was promised He'd be in the lineup that he specifically asked. I don't want to be a rental guy. But then after a few weeks, whatever, he got relegated down to the uh, AHL, and which he was very offended by and was just going on and on about how, how terrible of an experience it was because he was promised X, Y, and Z. Didn't perform well enough to keep a spot on the team like anything else and just fell to the AHL and never recovered. Now he signed, um, I think, in the SHL. But – what is your opinion on that? And it's like, do you guys ever have that mindset? Because I figured now with how, I mean, it's always been cutthroat, but I feel like now more than ever, it's not the good old boy thing where all the vets, they'll always have a spot in the lineup just because of yeah. their name and their vets, right? We're seeing a bunch of them, you know, sit up in the ninth floor or, you know, like even like David Backus, you know, being waived to the AHL. I know he, he didn't go down there, but I never thought – players would ever get that treatment because, you know, you almost feel like they were entitled, you know, if they're still good enough to do it. But I guess what's kind of your opinion on that? Is it kind of like, I don't know. I don't even know kind of what I'm trying to ask. It's just yeah. interesting because, you know, yeah. well, you didn't play well enough, bro, but maybe like, did they really get like promise in the world? And you really, really thought like, dude, I was really under the pressure this was going to happen. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just strange. Strange. Yeah. I, I haven't heard the exact things that, that he said, or th I haven't seen the interview or anything, but I think like definitely like if, if you heard like 
some of the stories of things that like I've been told by various coaches throughout like my playing career and, and what happened, like you, like you wouldn't believe it. Like, so like definitely over promising and under, under delivering and getting mixed messages, uh, mixed messages from coaches and management. I mean, that's something that happens to everybody, like, you know, throughout their entire career and it's not Mm -hmm. right, but it, but it is something that, definitely happens and sometimes it's you know it's people say things well intentioned um that are well intentioned but just don't come to fruition uh, and sometimes um sometimes you know um it's maybe not with the best intentions and you know and people are kind of taking advantage of you to a certain degree um i would say that they're are cases of probably both that I, I, I have experienced um, nothing like major, nothing to make me like reconsider playing, but like just things that like, you know, are annoyances and get you down or feel like, you know, feel like, you know, you've been told half truths or maybe even less than that. Um, but I, but at the end of the day, I think if you perform to the best of your ability, like, um, and, and, and you produce and, and you, you meet expectations, you know, and, and you, and you work to get expectations, clear expectations from your coaching staff and your management. And, um, and, you know, you, tr- you try to reach them. Um, that's really the best that you can do. And I think like, um, I think that part of being a pro is you have to be resilient to, to those types of things. Um, I think you have to seek out those clear expectations from your coaches and from your management and, and see, see what they are and, and, and then be real with yourself, whether you're meeting them or, or not. Um, right. That's, that's part of your responsibility too. Um, so I don't know anything about that particular case, but I think there's definitely times when coaches and management overpromise and under deliver and, and it feels like a betrayal to you, but um, um, I think that definitely does occur. And I can think of times that that has occurred to me, but I also think like you, your job as a pro is to, to perform to the best of your ability, no matter what, and to, to, um, try to get those, those real, you know, indicators of how well you're performing and, and whether in, in those, in those expectations and try to try your best to reach them, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. And I thought it was interesting. You had used the word betrayed. And so obviously it's very easy, like, you know, to read the Twitter comments and for somebody like me to go, well, you didn't play well enough to get a spot. It's like a, at a job, right. That's what happens. But when you use the word betrayed and kind of was talking about like, you know, what you were just talking about all these things you're getting over, like you're getting promised a lot of things and now they're under delivering. It really almost seemed like, dude, if you're, if you're really promising somebody, like, I guess like you try and think as a normal person, if I go to a job and I'm getting promised something, if I'm not, you know, working to the best of my ability in my position, I guess I would hope I wouldn't be fired immediately or something, but this is a cutthroat world. I feel like pro sports is the worst at that. So it's also like blame on both sides, but I just thought it was interesting. I was like, wow, he's got a real, real salty taste in his mouth. Like they must've, you think that he's got kids, he's got a family, you know? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand from his side too. Like, man, they must've promised him a lot and just, I I don't know, just got thrown to the wolves and thrown down to the AHL and, yeah, now he, he recovered. So I was just curious your your opinion on that because I, I just thought it was interesting. I always know there's two yeah. sto- two uh, sides of each story. So yeah, I think the other side of it too is like 
hockey is a unique sport where there's a million different ways to be good at it. And when you're constructing a roster, you could have uh, um, like many, like you could take a, a group of say 50 players or 60 players and you could have um, three different coaches or four different coaches. And you were to say of these players and they're all like, say all of them are at a high, high caliber, like, you know, say you take uh, 60 NHL players, right. And you were to take right. uh, and, and, and uh, let's pretend that there's no salary cap. So you don't have to worry about money implications, but you were to take four NHL coaches and you were to say, make a roster. Um, I think all four of those coaches are coming up with different, different rosters uh, right. because they each have their own slight preferences in, mm-hmm. in what kind of player that they want. And they have their own idea about what kind of team that they want to create. Right. Um, you know, I always use the example of a band. So actually one of my best friends who's a good guitar player uh, yeah. and, and loves, loves rock and roll, loves the blues. Like always, always like he told me this once and I always, always repeat it. And that is like some, some, you know, some bands, they want to have three guitar players. So some might want to have, you know, a bass and a drummer and, uh, and maybe a violin, right? And then right. someone like, no, I'll do no room. Or maybe someone wants to have like some horns, right? Like, and and that's true for like that analogy works for hockey too. It's like, right. like he always would tell me, like he would say, Ordo, you're a drummer. Just be the best damn drummer you can be. Like you're not a you're not a violinist. You're a drummer, and bang your drums. So it's just like, okay. like no matter who you are, you gotta like whatever like style it is that you have maybe that coach doesn't like your style but you got to be that style to the best of your ability and I think whenever there's a situation like that where you seem feel like well this wasn't what I was expecting or whatever you have to keep in mind where it's like maybe you're just not the style that coach wants and maybe it's not really an assessment of who you are as a player how good you are what you can contribute maybe it's just that that's just not your style not his style and this doesn't fit in with that with that band with the sound that he's trying to create um to use that analogy so yeah it's a pretty good analogy though that's that's pretty good and as a musician too i mean that that makes a lot of sense um chris just to wrap things up here man um last thing to ask i don't know if you can say publicly whether or not i don't know if you're signed yet or not do you are you able to talk about what you're doing yet if not like what what can you tell the fans i'm sure they're they're dying to know yeah, so um, it hasn't been made public yet, but I do know where I'm going for next year. Um, I guess the one thing I can say is that I'll be in familiar colors, but uh, I probably shouldn't say too much more than that. Awesome. And uh, Chris, do you want to give a shout out or anything today um, to anybody, any fans yeah, or anything out there? For sure. Uh, I'd love to give a shout out to, um, to Hit Club Hockey. They've been uh, hooking me up with with some sweet merch and uh i really really dig what they're doing um really uh think that they have a lot of cool stuff so if you go check out hit club hockey that that would be that'd be cool buy a t-shirt buy a hat yeah cool awesome well chris i appreciate you again coming on the show man we'll get you back on once once my dad's back here again it's always a pleasure to have you on get some insight always uh always fun talking with you man and uh hopefully we get to see where where you'll end up uh this upcoming season man Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's always really good to talk to you. 
All right, just spoke with Chris off the air. Great guy as always, part two interview with him. Um, it, you know, I was glad to have him back on because, you know, when we have guests back on, you know, as, as, as all of our fans know, when you listen to the podcast, we have um, a very strict way of have, how we conduct these interviews. And mostly because of the whole reason why we want to do these interviews is to, first of all, highlight and get to know the story of their career, starting from the beginning, go all the way up to present day normally. Um, but when we have him back on for the second time, unless we've got a lot more to pick up on, or a lot of these young current guys like Chris, where his, his career has been pretty short. He's a young guy and has, has been playing pro for a few years now. You know, we, it's, it's cool to ask other questions, get opinions on things um, that are different from people that are just on Twitter, YouTube, you know, pe people like myself, you know, people that are maybe listening um, that have never played pro or been at that level that truly understand that can give a good and concise opinion on something or a situation based on, you know, whatever it is, like what we were talking about today. So awesome insight. We appreciate Chris again coming on last minute. I just hit him up a day or two ago saying, hey, buddy, let's come on. Let's let's do something. And uh, he's always so nice to be able to come on here and talk with us or with me today. So, uh, again, we appreciate you all. My father says hello to all the fans as well. I know a couple of people have been asking, hey, is he still doing the podcast? Yeah, he was just he's been on vacation. You know, he's, he's a professor, so he does that during the summer. Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, go Bruins.